0: Hello and welcome to Connect Point's podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Spend an hour and a half or so in the presence of God in this place Amen. One of the things I like to tell people about coming to church is, uh, you know, if you're here, you can't be somewhere else. <laughs> if you're here, if you're here, you can't be worrying. You can't be fixing that broke down lawnmower. You can't be you can't be dealing with that leaky faucet. If you're if you're here, you're just here. Right. And if you're here, you might as well just be all here. Amen. Amen. Life doesn't just completely stop, we understand that, but there's value, there's value in coming into the house of God, worshiping, learning, and being, and going out and having that refreshing, amen? Amen. Amen. I want to talk uh, about love a little bit tonight, and uh, I was thinking about this, and uh, there's a song that uh, was popular around the early 80s, uh, sung by a person, Johnny Lee, maybe, you, I don't, that name doesn't mean much for me, but you, you may recognize the words, the song, it's, since it came out, it has kind of been a mainstay song, a secular song that kind of always seems to fit the current culture for a very uh a very basically unhealthy reason. It starts out, well, I spent a lifetime looking for you. Single bars and good time lovers were never true. Playing a fool's game, hoping to win, and telling those sweet lies, and losing again. Now, I didn't sing it, so some of you probably didn't recognize it yet. (laughs) You may more recognize the chorus I was looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces, searching their eyes, looking for traces of what I'm dreaming of, hoping to find a friend and a lover. I'll bless the day I discover another heart looking for love, right? Looking for love in all the wrong places, all the wrong places. Uh, the reason that the words still resonate even in our culture some 43 years later after they were first sung is because people are still really bad at looking for love. Because our culture is still really bad at understanding what love is, how love works, what, where to find love. That's mostly because They don't really know what love is foundationally. How can you look for love if you don't even know what love is? And so tonight I want to talk about what love is from its foundational point of view. Now some of you may be sitting here thinking, man, you know, Pastor, I don't have an issue with this. And that's good. I'm glad you don't. But our world does. So maybe there's people that this is going to help in here tonight. And maybe this is going to help us help others. But our world has a major problem with this, and the church is supposed to be a help of the world, to the world, right? So I want to I talk about that and, and its foundational point of view, which means we must look at it from a biblical point of view, and we begin with a common statement that people make all the time, but they maybe don't understand, and that is God is love. God is love. Now what does this mean? Well we have to go to its source. First John chapter four, seven and eight. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. All right. So we know right off the bat that we have scriptural, foundational truth that we're dealing with when we're saying God is love. Now the major mistake that our world makes, and they don't recognize that they make it, that people make, is what they really, when they, when they think God is love or God is, they, they really are saying love is God. They're really flipping it. And I say that they're really flipping it because even if they don't say it that way, they behave that way. Their behavior and their activity is not that God is love, but that love is God. And that makes love the deity. That makes love the all-powerful, all-knowing. That It places love as a separate entity, as the most valuable thing in our life. And that's not what the Bible is trying to teach us. And because it switches from God is love to love is God, that switching it around leaves you with no basis of what love really is. It's just a statement with no factual foundation of what it actually is. God is love. That focuses you on the God part. And if I focus on the God part, I'll learn what love is. But if I put love is God, it focused me on the love part, but I have nowhere to look for what love is supposed to be, what it's supposed to look like, what it's supposed to sound like, how it's supposed to behave. I don't have any way to to figure that out. It's just saying that love is the all-important, all-necessary thing that we all need, but how do we get it? Where does it come from? You've removed the primary. So keeping it scriptural, God is love, keeps God as the focus, Therefore, our understanding of God is what is necessary to understand love. So if you try to understand love outside of God, you will not be successful. That's my first point. Trying to understand love outside of God is impossible. You will not be successful in doing that. When we remove the God focus, all that is left is flesh focus. If I don't have a God to illustrate to me, and teach me, and declare to me what love is, then I have to just look to humanity. I have to look to my own flesh. How many can see how that's problematic? This is why, in our culture now, as far as humanity has existed, why love has really become a pursuit of lust. Because the moment you're not focusing on God to learn what love is, and you're focusing on flesh, flesh cannot teach you what love is. Flesh can teach you what lust is. Making many people's pursuits of what they think to be love actually the pursuit of sinful lust, and actually the opposite of God's love. The opposite of God's love. So when I say lust, I don't just mean uh, in the physical sense, the sexual sense. People lust for all kinds of things. The Bible speaks of lust in in a lot of ways. You can even uh, inappropriately lust after things that are good things. You can lust for commitment. You can lust for companionship. You can lust for stability. You can lust after a lot of things. We've kind of relegated it to just the sexual side of things, but that's not what the word is all about. But because they lust for them, they seek them incorrectly. Because they lust for commitment and companionship, they seek it from a fleshly point of view, and they always end up with something that's far less than what was God was wanting to give to them. And so the first... For instance, the first time the word lust is even used in scripture is in the Song of Moses after Pharaoh is destroyed in the Red Sea and they're singing the Song of Moses and it says in 15 and nine, the enemy said, I will pursue. He's saying this is what Pharaoh thought was going to happen. Pharaoh was saying, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Moses says, Pharaoh lusted after coming getting us back, killing us, putting us back into slavery, that was the lust that his flesh wanted. See, there's no sexual component there at all. That's just the lust of that flesh wanting that, that, that thing, wanted it, that's what Pharaoh wanted. He wanted it so bad, he lusted after that so bad that when he finally got his army together and they finally pursued after Israel, he went marching right out into a parted sea, Now, I want you to just analyze that for a second. His God didn't part the sea. He got there and the sea was parted. His magicians, his people didn't make that happen. But his lust was driving him so hard that he just put himself right out there in the middle of a parted sea. Put himself in just the most dangerous position possible. This is what lust does. Okay, and, and, of course, you know how that, that ends up. And so the, uh, the psalmist reminds us that the Israelites, they lusted uh, later on in the wilderness after food, even after being provided with miraculous manna from heaven in Psalm 78, and they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. They lusted after food, after meat, right? Not Twinkies, meat. It wasn't like meat was bad. But God was giving them manna, and that wasn't enough for them, and their flesh wanted something else. So I'm just trying to expand your understanding. This is, why, this is why when we get love wrong, all our flesh has left is to pursue lust. And we have to understand that lust is a broad category, and some of us may even be pursuing things in lust that we're not even aware of because we think of lust as a sexual component only. We see good, uh, a good understanding of lust in Psalm 81, 11 and 12. But my people would not hearken to my voice, the Lord says. And Israel would none of me. They didn't want anything to do with me. So I gave them up unto their own hearts lust. And they walked in their own counsel. So, just so we understand. He's saying that when they decided to do it their own way and not listen to God's instruction, that was them going after their own heart's lust. So that kind of maybe makes it even, brings it home a little bit more. Have you ever, have you ever told God, I got this. I, I, I think I'll do it this way. I think I have it figured out, I'm good. God says my people didn't they, didn't, they didn't think they needed me. They didn't want anything to do with me and so I just let them pursue and what happens? What's left? If you're no longer pursuing God, what's left? Their own heart's lust. All right? And so it's basically saying it's fleshly, it's unsubmitted, it's a reliance upon our own flesh above all else, and it's a disconnect from God. And so our desire to know love can only actually be lust when we approach it that way. So without God's example teaching us what love is, we have no basis of what love is. Every idea of love, and I'm just going to make a broad blanket thing here, but it's true. Every idea of love, every song, every story, every movie, every life illustration, every idea of love that is not founded in God is love is a lie. A lie. Every romantic comedy, every song, every book. If it's not founded upon God is love, then it's a lie. No matter how good it looks, now how enticing it is, now how once it just sweeps you off your feet. If it's not f- founded upon God is love, then it's a lie. And it's a pathway to nowhere. Pathway to nowhere. John 3:16, you know it. For God, so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This love is shown when we see how gave his only begotten Son actually played out, right? Sacrifice, calvary, nails, crown of thorns, spear in the side, That is how God so loved the world looked. That's how it played out. That's how it is shown as being true. So no one can say that they loved God before God loved them. Nobody in the history of humanity can say they loved God or even knew what love was until God came into their life. No one can say they understood love until they came into line with God, 1 John 4, 16-19. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. Right? Nobody gets to say, oh, I, I understood love, and then I came. To, I, I knew love, what love was before I ever came to God. I, I knew what love was before I ever got saved. I knew what love was. No, you didn't. It's impossible to. You can only know love once you have a relationship with God. Amen. But we must realize that love is not just about us and God because if you continue reading in those same line of verses in verse 20 and 21 of 1 John 4, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. So we expand it now a little bit. Now that word brother there means literally, literally or figuratively. It means near or remote. It's not talking about your blood brother. It's talking about the, the brotherhood of all humanity. <laughs> the amount of hate that we see in our world is only evidence of a lack of real love. The only way you can have as much hate as we have in our society today is because there is a lack of real, true, godly love. Love is not agreement. Love is not condoning. Love is not accepting just however, whatever somebody wants to do. That's that's great. That's wonderful. God does not love us because we live perfectly pleasing lives for him every day. Look at Romans 5. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it really is overstepping on our part to say that he loved us while we were yet sinners in the beginning, but then if we, we have to live perfect lives for him now for him to keep loving us. That's changing the nature of God. We don't get to change the nature of God. He loved us while we were yet sinners. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that because that means that if I sin tomorrow, that he's not gonna quit loving me. Anybody else with me on that? Amen. And so if we claim to know God and we claim to understand the love of God, then we should love like he loves, right? So sinful people in a sinful society should not cause us to behave with some sort of superiority. But it should, all, it should actually call us to self-sacrifice. I'm just going to let that linger for a second. If I know God, then I know love. And if I'm going to claim to know God and to know love, then I have to love like God loves. Which means a sinful society should not cause me to be like, oh, Don't touch me. Stay away from me. It should actually call me to self-sacrifice. It should call me to my own cross. It should actually call me to lay my life down that I might help them. Right? Because that's what his love did. And if I'm supposed to know his love, then I should act like I have that kind of love the Lord speaks of the church people in Ephesus and he says this in Revelation 2 nevertheless I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and I will remove thy candlestick out of the, his place except thou repent now the way he speaks to Ephesus here is very important the the, the I don't know how to say it, the, the, the mood of this conversation, if I can say it that way, is as the bridegroom speaking to the bride. Okay? He's the bridegroom, Ephesus, the church is the bride. That's, that's the mood of this conversation. And he speaks to them, and you, you might not even imagine that Ephesus might have even been a little caught off guard by this. They might have even been a little surprised by this because they were doing a lot of things Right? They were doing a lot of things good. They were doing a lot of things right. They were, they were very motivated. They were very driven. The church was strong. And then God says, but I actually have a problem with you. And you can almost, you can almost see the people of Ephesus be like, "Whoa, us? What? I thought we were doing everything. No, you, lo- you left your first love. And if you don't repent, we're going to have a problem. So... What does it mean? Well, it doesn't seem as if they had lost their zeal or their passion or their vision. It seems as if they were still kind of holding the line of like, you know, they were preaching the, the doctrinal messages. Yet they were no longer driven, and this is what this is the what the, the point he's making. They were no longer driven by love. They weren't doing it out of a love for God anymore. It had become task-oriented. It had become a to-do list. It had become just checking off the boxes of what I'm supposed to do for God. They were still doing it. In fact, they were still doing things in, with some zealous and some passion and some drive, but he was looking at their heart, and he was saying, but you, you lost the most important thing that matters to me. You're not doing it out of love. You're not serving me out of love. You're not loving me through the service, through the work, through through the, the commitment. Think of it like this. Uh, a honey-do list, you know? Anybody know what a honey-do list is? It's, I'm not going to... It's when one spouse gives another spouse a list of things that need to be done. I mean, just going to say, I mean, traditionally, maybe it would be the woman giving the man a list of things. But this is 2023 now, so who knows? <laughs> so, so I want you to think of that, that the honey-do list mindset in a, in a marriage relationship uh giving giving your spouse a a, a honey do list when there's no honey left when there's no active active love left it changes from this agreement we have with one another to simply being viewed as a demand from one spouse to the other of things that need to be done. In fact, it becomes a sense of almost a power struggle to I'm in control and you need to do this list of wants that I have created for you. It's no longer a honey-do list. This is basically a taskmaster now, right? It's all fun and games. It's wonderful. Everything's great as long as the honey's still there. (laughs) But the moment the love is not in it, the transaction changes. God is looking at the church of Ephesus and he's saying, yeah, I know you're doing all of the stuff that I asked you to do, but the transaction has changed because you're no longer doing it out of love. You're doing it out of habit. You're doing it out of responsibility. You're doing it because maybe it lets you look good. Maybe it's part of your lifestyle now. Maybe it's how you I don't know. But you're not doing it out of love. And God says, you better get back to your first love because none of this other stuff really matters that much if you're not doing it out of love. And if you don't, we're going to have a problem and you need to repent. You need to repent because you're you're in a bad place. See, we have to remember that God doesn't actually need us to do anything. He's God. The only reason that we are doing things and he calls us to do things and he involves us in the whole process is because he loves us. And so he wants our lives to have value and to have meaning and to have purpose. And he wants us to have fulfillment. And he wants us to have accomplished tasks and, and, and feel that achievement. And so he calls us and empowers us and he gives us the ability to do things that he could do all on his own without us. But he loves us and he understands That those are things that we need out of life. We need to feel valuable. We need to have a reason and a purpose. We need to achieve things. And so he allows us to do that because he loves us. And we're supposed to be doing them because we love him. That's supposed to be the driving force. Just because I love God. That's why I do it. Not because I'm on the schedule. It's not because it's just my week to teach. Right? It's because I love him. Because he first loved me. And I love him back. And that's the transaction that we have. But Ephesus forgot about the love and was just doing the stuff. And God said, I have a problem with that. Because the stuff doesn't matter that much to me. It's the love that matters. Amen. It's the love that matters. And it's not that far off. It's the bridegroom and the bride. It's not that far off in marital relationships. It's not that far off in any type of real relationship or a love relationship. We see how that works. You don't want them to just do it. You want them to do it because they love you. Right? You don't want them to say, you know, We've made an agreement. I would say I love you once a day. I signed the piece of paper and I'm a man of my word and so I'm going to say it once a day. Right? It's like, okay. You killed it. You ruined it. Right? You just messed it up. It doesn't mean anything now. You want it to matter. God wants it to matter. So let's look at what love looks like and does not look like. 1 Corinthians 13 is about love. Uses the word charity. The word charity in the Greek is agape, which is the word love. So every time it says charity, it's it's actually saying love. Paul begins very boldly. He does it strategically to get our attention. He wants our attention. 1 Corinthians 13 Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love or charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and I don't have love, it profiteth me nothing. Is that dramatic enough for us? Has he got our attention? I give everything away to the poor and let my body be burned. But I didn't love, it's nothing. By the way, that word nothing in in the original means nothing. It means not even one thing. It means nothing. Speak with tongues, gift of prophecy, understand the mysteries, have all the knowledge in the faith, feed the poor, self sacrifice. Nothing. See, this is where we wake up to the reality of living, serving, and loving the Lord. It cannot be lip service. It it cannot be the completion of a to-do list. It's love or it's nothing. The reality of serving the Lord is it's either love or it's nothing. You say, well, what about all my years and what about all my sacrifice and what about all the hours I put in and what about all the money I've given and about all of that stuff I've done? I've helped people all around the world and I've read my Bible 15 times and I've been to missions fields and I've done all this stuff. It's love or it's nothing. It's nothing. That's the reality that we're dealing with here. This is how important love is. It's important how, this is how important it is that we understand what love is. So we get some things then, he says after that, very dramatic, very in your face, open up your eyes, opening. He gives us some things that love is and some things that love is not. And I know this is, you know, you've, you've. of the time you hear this is in marriage ceremonies, and it fits in marriage ceremonies, but it's about love. It's not about marriage. It's about love, right? So it fits, but don't just relegate it to that. Love is patient and kind. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. This is New Living Translation I'm reading. Love is patient and kind. Love is not... Jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. So I'm going to just keep reading if your toes hurt from me stepping on them. Just remember that's the Bible that's stepping on their toes right now, right? It's not boastful, it's not proud, it's not rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. This is why people connect 1 Corinthians 13 to marriage, because if you can understand godly love and marry someone who understands godly love, you're like 99% of the way to a successful marriage. You know, the rest of it's just making sure the toilet paper goes on the right way, and Closing the cabinet doors and picking up your socks, whatever. You know, it's. You're like almost all the way there if you can just understand godly love, because godly love doesn't ever give up. And that's what successful marriages are two people that never gave up. Because they, what? Because they had lust? No because they had some worldly view of love that was wrong no because they had godly love because they had godly love notice that love is not superficial love is not about outward beauty it's about inward beauty notice that love is not about the facade but it's about the reality of who we are it's about our actual activity what we do not just what we say it's what we do. Notice that love is not about feelings or temporary emotion, but endurance in good and in the bad. We go on to read that most things have a time and a season. Paul is writing there. And some things that matter greatly in one season will not matter as much down the line. That's kind of a general point of what he's making in the next few verses. He's saying there are some things that are very important, but later on they're not gonna be as important. But the reason why he makes that point is to make the next point, and that is that some things are forever. Some things have a season and some things are forever, and he says three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. He says, those three things will last forever. And by the way, he tags on at the end, and the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Folks, there is absolutely no doubt, no wondering, no confusion as to why the devil has worked so hard to mess up love to flip from God is love to love is God, to get fleshly pursuits of lust instead of a godly pursuit of love because it is foundational to everything we do. It's foundational in our relationships with family. It becomes foundational in our relationships in our marriage and with our children. It's foundational in any relationship that has any meaning. It's even foundational in our relationship to people that we don't even know except they are our brother or our fellow human being. It's foundational in all of it. It's foundational in all of it. The greatest of these is love, and these things will last forever. So what is Paul saying? I want you to, we need to, when we truly love, we are tapping into the eternal. When we participate in godly love, we are are participating in something that is eternal. That's how valuable this is. That's how valuable love is. That it, it it's you're tapping into something that is eternal, that will last forever. Heaven and earth shall pass away. The mountains shall crumble into the sea. Everything consumed with the fervent heat. But love will remain. So when I operate in godly love, that's it's like a precious jewel. It's 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 so powerful because it lasts forever. And this that that value, that extreme significant value, is what is lost. This is the downfall of the living together modern approach to love. And I mean that realistically, as people, that's very common now. People, we're going to live together and figure, see if it works. No, you're not. Because it won't be love. It won't be love. This is the downfall of the try-before-you-buy approach. Now, I don't, you know, sure. If you're going to buy a car, take it for a test drive. If you're going to buy a house, you know, have somebody come in, check out the stuff, make sure everything's working right. I have no problem with that. But this approach to relationships that are supposed to be love relationships does not work because it will never be the same thing. It will never be a godly love unless it's done in a godly way. And until it's a godly love, you have no idea if it's gonna work or not work. You don't even know who the person is. You don't really know who they are. You're touching the eternal. Finite beings are handling the infinite. You don't get to do that unless you're all in. You understand? God doesn't let you have that. You don't get to handle that. You don't get to touch that. You don't get to experience that. If you're like, I don't know, we'll see how this works out. I don't know, we'll see. I want to have my options open. I want to make sure that I have an out if I need it. God doesn't let you have love until you want godly love. Everything else is just fleshly lust. You have to accept the fragility of who we are. We have to understand the limitations of what we can do. This is the problem that people are struggling with. This is the problem in making connections and building relationships and building something real that's built upon love and trying to take this approach, this human approach that's so short-sighted. We have to acknowledge that we're, we're fragile and we're limited And the only way it's going to work is if we add God's love into it. And it takes that which is weak and limited and makes it possible. You understand? We we can't have successful relationships. We can't have successful marriages. We can't have successful stuff in our life based upon our ability. Really? Are we lying to ourselves? We're weak and fragile and limited. You have to go all in on God's love because that's the only way to accomplish it. That's the only way to have a happy relationship, a successful marriage. Now, loving people then is not an expectation then of perfection, but it's an expectation of imperfection. So let's, let's look at this a little bit differently. The things that we do and the things that we will in our flesh are going to falter. But if I have godly love involved in it, it has the ability to rise again, has the ability to get back up. A godly relationship of any kind, a godly marriage, it's going to falter, it's gonna have mistakes, there's gonna be problems. But if godly love is in it, it has the ability to get back up, has the ability to grow from it, learn from it, become better off because of that experience. So we don't enter into these love relationships based upon the fact that we think a person is perfect. We enter them in based upon the fact that we know they're imperfect. That's why we need godly love. Does that make sense? That's why we need godly love. God did not find us on the mountaintop, right? He found us in the pit. His love then is not driven by our perfection, but it's driven by our betterment through him. He's not motivated to love me because I'm gonna be perfect tomorrow. He's motivated to love me because his love will make me better tomorrow. His love will grow me tomorrow and make me stronger tomorrow and make me more like him tomorrow. That's the motivation. Love doesn't let us continue in sin or abuse God's grace. Love leads us to repentance. Love calls Ephesus to repent because you lost your first love. You've left your first love. And this is the call to everyone who says they love their brother or they love their spouse or they love their fellow man or they love their friend. When you falter and do wrong, repent. If you say you love your spouse and you do something you shouldn't do, say, I'm sorry. Make it right. Ask them to forgive you. If you lie, uh, uh, are you wound, are you hurt, or you do something against that friend or even your fellow man that you should not do, make it right. Acknowledge it. Say, I'm sorry. Why? Because that's what love does. Love calls us to repent. Love calls us to acknowledge our fragility, our imperfection, that we're going to falter sometimes. But love calls us to repent because that's the only way we can get back up and grow from it and be stronger because of it. Which is why there's a book that came out in the 70s and they made a, a, a movie about it. And there's a famous line, that somehow just keeps lingering on in our society. And it's, love is never having to say you're sorry. And it's quite possibly the dumbest, most irresponsible line of all time. And people say it with this look in their eye, and they put it on Facebook, and they sew it on their pillows, and they think that they understand love, and it's the dumbest thing you could ever say. Love is never having to say you're sorry. It's the sorry or the repentance that makes it godly love. It's the thing that makes it love. Never having to say you're sorry is not love. I don't even, that's, I don't even know what that is. Pride, for sure. Arrogance, haughtiness. Disrespect, rude, it's a whole lot of things, but it ain't anywhere close to love. Love is saying I'm sorry and then saying it again and hopefully saying it every time you do something you shouldn't do to your spouse, to your friend, to your fellow man. Say you're sorry, make it right. Why? Because that's what real love does. That's what real love does. Do not say you love God if you cannot say you're sorry. Now, we live in very polarizing times. Everything seems to be demanding that a line be drawn in the sand. If you haven't noticed, I, I don't even know where to walk anymore. I'm like, oh, I, I, I'm crossing lines everywhere I go. Everybody's drawing lines in the sand. This is the final straw. You have to choose. This is the most important thing. Now, I'm not against lines in the sand, but they have to rise to the level of necessity. Now, I'm going to make this point, and we'll, we'll, we'll bring it to a close. There are people who have real hatred in their hearts about dog people versus cat people. <laughs> I mean, legitimate anger. Cats are just the worst. I hate cats. Just dogs uh, you know, They're cat people. They, Someone they never met in their life. Talking to a they're talking to a coworker at work, and the coworker's talking about. Oh, yeah, I have this friend, and, and they're, you know, they're a great person. They, they Soup kitchen, and they feed the homeless, and they, they do all this, and, you know, they just love cats. Oh, a cat person? Ah, oh, worst. It's the worst. A dog person. Real ridiculousness. And I tried to pick the most ridiculous one I could come up with because I don't want to just start naming all of the ridiculous things. But you know as well as I do. There are people that have real ridiculous anger and hatred towards other people for the most ridiculous reasons. Hatred and anger over what are all really just fragile, finite feelings of humanity. Getting worked up. Because of our imperfections, as if we don't have others' imperfections, as if we don't have imperfections. And it's such a waste of time and energy, but it's more sad than that. Because lines get drawn. And you know what lines do? They cause disconnect. Amen. They cause disconnect. They cause a disconnect from the same people that we are called to love. So I, 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 want, I want you to be warned a little bit tonight about all this line drawing. You know, if they think that way, then I'm, I'm, I'm done with them. Well, if they like that guy, I'm done with them. Their vote for that guy, I'm done with them. If they feel like that, I'm done with them. I'm drawing my line in the sand. You need to be careful because I don't have a lot of Bible for drawing all these lines in the sand. I do have a lot of Bible for loving those people that you're disconnecting yourself from. And when I say it needs, if you're going to draw lines, it needs to rise to the level of necessity. Let's look at what the Bible would would give us as an example of the level of necessity. Joshua calls upon the people in the last chapter, in the last chapter of Joshua 24, to make a choice, doesn't he? Choose you this day. But it's the most significant choice that must be made and cannot be vacillated on. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. And if it seem evil upon you to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the side of the flood, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The line that has been drawing there is about who your God's gonna be. That's what I mean by the level of the, that it needs to reach, the level of importance before you start drawing lines in the sand. It wasn't over a political party. It wasn't over a stance of some momentary cultural fascination. This was about choosing to serve the Lord or the idols of their fathers. That's what it was about. Now we have people drawing lines everywhere, making everything divisive and disconnecting themselves from more and more and more people. Let me ask you this question. How can we draw all these lines in the sand and disconnect ourselves from so many people and still fulfill the Great Commission? I don't know how we're supposed to do that. How do I draw all these lines in the sand? and say, I'm sorry, but that's just too much. I'm done with you. How do I do that and still fulfill Mark sixteen fifteen? go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? There's a trap that's being laid, and the church cannot fall into this trap. The trap that's being laid is that we think that by drawing lines in the sand, that we are somehow keeping God's truth and God's righteousness and God's holiness and God's, that we have to draw the lines in the sand to keep God holy and to keep God true and to keep God's word right. He doesn't need us to keep his holiness, his righteousness, his word. He does not need us to keep that. He told us, to be witnesses. He told us to go into all the world and to preach to every creature. He's basically telling us, don't cut yourself off. Don't draw the lines, don't disconnect. Keep the options open. Live in true, godly love. Yes, they may represent a sinful lifestyle that we cannot condone. And yes, they may think, believe, and act in ways that are contrary to God's word. And yes, they may be actively attacking our biblical stance of morality or holiness or even what would be seen as common decency. But still, Luke 6, And as ye would that men should do to you, do you also to them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what think have ye? What's the big deal about that? You love people who love you? Big whoop. For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what think have ye? Sinners do that. And if you lend them of whom you have hoped to receive, what think have ye? Sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies, and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. We cannot declare that we love God if we do not have the love of God. And we cannot only love them that love us, only do good to them who do good to us, and say that that's love. Because anybody can do that. Anybody who has no understanding of godly love at all can do that. But godly love says, love your enemies. Those who despitefully use you, those who attack you, who curse you, who are actively against everything you believe in, what are you supposed to do, draw a line in the sand, cut them off? No, you're supposed to love them. You're supposed to love them. And he says... There's a reward for this. And this this word reward in this context is not just heaven. It's also a reward on earth. And part of the reward is the blessing of seeing enemies become friends. Part of the reward is seeing people who were trapped in lust and not love come into the house of God and finally experience love for the first time. Part of the reward is seeing marriages that never had true love Discover what true love is and blossom in to what God created them to be in the first place. Part of the reward is people that are bound and struggling in darkness and addiction and all kinds of witchcraft and nonsense, finding deliverance and finding peace and finding hope in the presence of the Lord. That's part of the reward we have when we love with godly love. It allows for that to have a possibility of even happening. But when I don't love like that and I draw the lines and I disconnect, there's no possibility for it to even happen now. Only love can position us to see such a miracle in someone's life and for us to be a part of that miracle. That's the only way we get to be a part of that miracle is if we love them. If we love them. Amen. So we're all created by God, right? Every person, every human being that's ever existed, everyone that's alive at this moment, no matter what they're doing with themselves right now, no matter what they believe, no matter what they think, no matter what activity they're involved in, We are all created by God and therefore we are all connected at that highest level that God so loved us that while we were yet sinners, he loved us. Therefore, the only way we can fulfill our highest calling to one another is to love one another. That's the only way we can do it is to love one another. A real, pure, God-taught, God-given love. Stand with me if you would. (coughs) What is it? Looking for love in all the wrong places? How does it go? Don't start singing. Looking for love in too many faces, searching their eyes, looking for traces of what I'm dreaming of. Hoping to find a friend and a lover, I'll bless day I discover another heart looking for love. but I'm looking for love in all the wrong places. this is this is the struggle, folks. This is what our, this is our task. This is what the church needs to be in this day and age. We can talk about all of how far off their lust has got them. We can be Sickened by how far off their lust has taken them. We can be mind-blown about how crazy it's gotten because of fleshly lust. But what are we expecting them to do when they have no idea what love is? How can we expect any other type of behavior from someone who does not know what godly love is? Surely the church should, should be a people that illustrate and understand godly love and have the ability to communicate to people that there is such a thing as godly love. Surely that's something that the church should be doing in these last days. And I think it's something we need to analyze and we need to grow And then we need to open up, and we need to let it out into the world. And we got to talk with people and communicate with people and illustrate with people. Not disconnect. Connect. Connect point. We are people. We are the bride. Right? Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and mercy to us. We thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you, and we hope you have a great week.